What's up, y'all? Welcome to Eddie and Mike, the podcast. My name is Mike Pyatt, and we're happy. We're excited. Football season is back. Eddie, what's poppin'? Not a whole lot, man. Just super excited through the roof. Was doing some karate in the garage. My friend said I couldn't chop a watermelon in half with my hand. I did it. It happened. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. Right, and we're recording this on Thursday evening, a little bit before the Bucks and the Cowboys kick off the season. And uh, what's your quick thoughts on that? I mean, it it's football. You know, of course, us football team fans are waiting for Sunday when our team plays. But it's the season kickoff. You got a talented offensive – offensively talented, rather, Dallas team with Dak coming back. You know, you want to see how he's going to look, how's his leg going to hold up. No Zach Martin on the O-line. So probably means a lot of quick throws, no double moves. You got the Bucks defending their Super Bowl title. There's just a lot of excitement there. You got to figure Bucks will probably dominate just because of the Cowboys' terrible defense. But I also think the Cowboys could maybe surprise some people and put some points up on the board. They're talented. So we'll see what happens. It's exciting. I'm excited. Cool. And you can catch that game tonight. Um, or if you caught the game last night, whenever this is released, um, just let us know what y'all thought. Do the Cowboys look better than what you expected? Do the Bucks seem like they're on point still? Just um, let us know in the comments. But we're just going to jump into today's episode. Um, we'll recap the AFC in the first three NFC divisions that we did real quick. Um, Eddie has the Patriots. Ravens, Titans, and Chiefs winning their divisions in the AFC. I have the Bills, Steelers, Titans, and Chiefs winning their divisions in the AFC. And in the NFC, both of us have the Rams winning the West. We defer on the North. Eddie has the Vikings, I have the Packers. And we both rolling with the Bucks for the NFC South. I just want to point out that I had picked the Ravens before Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters went down. I'm just throwing that out there that I, that, that pick was made before that injury had happened. But it was, it was on the last show where I made those picks. All right. We are now on the eve of Friday. Mm-hmm. So it's been a minute. It just happened. <laughs> it just happened. And while we're in, in that conference specifically, mm-hmm. big shout out to TJ Watts securing the bag for you. Oh, yeah. 12 plus million, 80 guaranteed. Yeah. That's an app. Taking care of. If you average it out, it's an average of 28 million a year. And yeah, that's good. And also for Washington fans, we need to pay attention to that number because in about three years, Sweat will be up for his contract extension. And the year after that, Chase will be up for his. So um, definitely pay attention to those defensive line contract extensions numbers only going to go up all it's right go up and speaking of chase and sweat that leads us to our first discussion hmm. well actually it's not even a discussion eddie it's not a discussion <laughs> <laughs> sounded very parental right there mike eddie please if you don't mind just give us the state of the Washington football team and your thoughts heading into the 2021 season. It would kind of be like a house or a car that just looks extremely nice on the outside, 
but on the inside is not as nice as you would expect it to be. And actually in some areas, it's almost kind of amazing that it's still holding up. And what I'm getting at is, you know, the team looks great on paper. We look like we're, you know, heading in the right direction. We're, we are ascending, hopefully. Coaching, all of those things. Unfortunately, and this name change reflects it, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I, I, want us, I want to know. What's our name? I want to know. I really do. But it, it goes not just on the name selection, but this whole thing with these, these eight names that were allegedly, you know, the, the eight finalists, and now it's down to three, but nobody really seems to know. And you got your girl, Tanya Snyder out there. She did an interview with Adam Scheffner and he starts putting out rumors. And if you saw her reaction, Oh, has that been said? Like she was clueless. And it's almost like the same thing. Like it's like nothing has really changed, which is really disheartening because we've done episodes where we talked about adults running the show. We, we liked the Martys. We liked, um, I can't remember his last name right now, but we liked our man, Jason. Dude, I feel like right. I'm going places. He might like, no, no lie. And, and I can't pretend like I came up with this. I heard this on a radio show or, or read it somewhere. Somebody was like, you know what? One day he might end up being commissioner. Wouldn't be surprised. Any which way. We love all those guys. We love all those guys. But there's still this sort of thing where it feels like, Snyder is really running things and his wife is just a front and the Martys and everybody else is just some kind of front. It's hard to believe because again, we it, it, on paper and everything we've seen with the way our draft went, it seemed like we're heading in the right direction. And I think in a way the team itself is, but the organization might still have some of those lingering problems from just a few years ago, even. So the, the state is confusion. Unfortunately, I, I don't know what word, what one word to put on it, but it's just ridiculous. You know, like here we are again. I, I, I don't want, like, I'm just going to ramble if I keep going. So, yeah. No, that's cool. And you make valid points. That interview with Adam Shafter, it was, yeah, you see why Dan Snyder doesn't do interviews now because he's bad at it. And when he messes up, he's going to get crushed for it. Clearly, Tanya Snyder um, said some things in an interview that she wasn't um, knowledgeable on as far as the name change is. As far as the name change goes, a lot of people are trying to say that it's um, that the organization is dragging it on to uh, generate buzz behind it. And they could easily just announce a new name, but they won't. They want to build up the dramatic, so to speak. And I'm cool with that, but I don't know. For me, this when I think of the state of the Washington football team, I try not to pull in the, um, the organization as a whole. Because if you do that, you um, you start bringing up the past. And speaking of the past, even though I'm excited for the 2020-21 season, the team, the actual players, football team, their past does hunt me. <laughs> it haunts me, man. Um, I don't know if you remember in the 2005 season, 
We won the playoff game. Defense was nice. 2006, we signed all these people. And Gordon Al Saunders, I think, would be offensive coordinator. And it was just a mess. 2006 was a mess. And things are kind of seem – it seemed like the same thing is happening again. It seems like I'm in Groundhog Day. Um, there's all this momentum heading into the season. And, yeah, I'm scared that it could it could go wrong. Yesterday I was on um, the Boomcast. Shout out to them dudes. He used he used the term PTSD to describe how I was feeling about the team. Yeah, I mean and, exactly what it is. Yeah, and that's like okay, I can see that. And honestly, bro, the schedule hunts me too. Yeah, it's a hard schedule. It's a hard schedule. We have two two five game stretches. That's going to determine the season. It's one in the middle of the season where we play arguably the top teams in the league. Seattle, Tampa, Kansas City, New Orleans, um, and there's uh, Green Bay. We play, we play all five of those teams in a six-week span. Then, for some dumb reason, the NFL puts us five division games to end the year. That's what I was gonna say. That that's the one that's the real kicker because we could play well early on, but then injuries, COVID, if unfortunately something is to happen more with uh, some of the embarrassment that's gone on, and then it does affect the team. Now we're we're going into those division games kind of at a disadvantage, really. Uh, so I, th- I think the best thing we can do is just you know, like some super Disney type ish, just think happy thoughts. You know, we got to will it into existence because I have confidence in the team and the coaches. It's just the simple fact that let let me put it like this. I feel like the football team right now in terms of this name and how they're kind of doing things, I don't think they totally know. I think they have a general direction, but I don't think they really have a plan. And so all they're doing is like, yeah, and they're building it up and they want to pretend like that was the plan all along when it was really just sort of more like a, 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 a something out of circumstance, more or less. You know what like I mean? A distraction. Something like that, like something that just happened more mm-hmm. than, than what was their plan. That's what worries me is that, you know, a corporation like the Redskins, and let's be honest, they're a corporation right? They're a football team, but it's also a business. Mm -hmm. It scares me when we have this kind of indecisiveness and and, and borderline like obliviousness running the team. You know, it really feels like Tanya is just a prop and who knows what Dan is or isn't telling people to do. You know, he's supposed to have way less involvement. This was supposed to be one of these things where she comes in and kind of you know, holds people accountable because, you know, air quotes here, people, so you don't come cancel me, but that's sort of the wife's role from time to time to hold the husband accountable and straighten him out and tell him like it is. So that was what was supposed to happen. And it's not my surprise. Bringing it back to the season as a whole, if 
Washington doesn't make the playoffs, it's most likely because of the schedule and the in- and injuries. Yeah. Because I agree. The roster, I don't know what else they could have done to build it. This is this has been one of the most efficient off seasons I ever seen the team have. I know I compared how I'm feeling to how 2006 went that season went, but if you compare that 05 to 06 off season to the 2020 to 21 off season, there's some noticeable differences. Oh, absolutely. The, big, the biggest being the draft. The 2021 draft, if you compare it to the 2006 draft, you'll probably laugh. And this, and this is before the players even played, but you'll probably still laugh. I have no idea who our first pick was in 2006. Zero. <laughs> I have none. <laughs> like, no idea. So, I'm not mistaken, was that not the year we had two second-round picks and it was Malcolm Kelly and uh, Devin? Nah, Devin. that was after Gibbs. That oh, was you're I right. think that was 08 actually. Sean Taylor. Nah, it was, we drafted Taylor in 04. I'm not sure who 06 was. And that's what I'm saying. Like who who we who did we draft that year? I can't name any 06 draft picks, but I can name pretty much every draft pick from the 2021 draft. Davis, Cosme, Juice, Brown, um, Cheese, the lone stopper. We drafted two defensive ends late. And even though most those two defensive ends were released, no, Shaka um, Tony actually made the team. But even though um, not all the draft picks made it, the fact that we have some and they're able to contribute earlier, most likely, that's the key difference between the 06 offseason and the 2021 offseason. In 2006, we didn't have a first-round pick, so we didn't pick until the 35th pick in the second round, and we picked Rocky McIntosh. McIntosh. When did we trade? Oh, okay. We traded up in 05. We traded up with the Broncos, and we were so the plan was to draft Aaron Rodgers, but Green Bay miraculously drafted him the one pick before us. Hmm. And that's how that story goes. But anyway, if Washington does make the playoffs, they're going to be battle-tested, man. They're going to be battle-tested. And if they do, they enter the playoffs as a contender. You can't – there's no way to um, debate it because they, they would have gone through the fire, even if they are 7-9 again. That means that they beat one of those elite teams. <laughs> they had to. So – I don't know. I'll just end it with this. Young, Sweat, McLaurin, Gibson, Fitz. Those are the five players that's going to dictate the, dictate the pace of Washington's season. We go as those five players go. If those five players are balling, watch out, like straight up. But if any of those players struggle – I'm not saying it'll be a hard season or to make the season bad, but we wouldn't be at our peak. We need these five players to have good seasons. Those five specifically, Young, Sweat, McLaurin, Gibson, and Fitz. And I trust the direction Rivera has us hidden. I'm going to ride with him, Eddie. Like, I'm going to ride with him. I know the organization – well, actually, it's not even an organization. It's Snyder. 
<laughs> it's all Snyder. He Starts just from the top. he doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. And if you heard the Tanya Snyder interview, you'll understand why we're saying this. She kind of didn't show sympathy for the victims, but rather was talking about her family and the things that they went through or or, gone to, or going to go through or whatnot. So, like, there's a disconnect between the Snyders and reality, and we can't worry about that. We have absolutely no control over that. But what we can do is continue to support the players that are playing, and that's how I always looked at it. Like, I ain't – don't get me wrong. I ain't, I ain't cool with Snyder at all. Like, he basically wasted 20 years of our lives, to be <laughs> honest with you. Uh, but I always show love to the players of the team, and that's who I care about the most because those are the ones that's trying to help the team win um, when, you, when you boil it all down. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump right into the NFC East predictions. As Mike mentioned earlier, we did our predictions for every potential division winner, in our opinion. We did not do the NFC East, so we're about to get into it. Mike, would you like to go first, or how you want to do it? Um, you could go first, but I was just talking for a minute. <laughs> All right, so I've thought about this and experts are picking the Cowboys. Some are picking the Giants even. I got to go football team and it's not homerism. Here's where I'm at. I mentioned earlier about not having confidence in Dallas's defense. I realize they can put some points on the board. In Philly, I think they're still kind of figuring out how they're going to use or how they're going to just attack offensively in general. A good majority of their team is young. Their running backs, their receivers, all young. I think Jalen Hurts can be a good quarterback, but I think this is this is a whole thing, like I just mentioned, with him and his skill players, which many of whom he didn't play with last year. Rager was hurt a lot of the time. Smith wasn't on the team. He was at Alabama lighting it up. They, they just drafted a new running back. The other guy, Sanders, is really solid, but he's injury prone. So, to me – that's a, a whole thing that's up in the air. Maybe they come out and they're fire. Maybe they may, you know, maybe it does work. But I really think that that team hasn't had enough time to play together. The Giants, I think the Giants are talented. I think they're actually kind of underrated on defense. But mm-hmm. they're, they've kind of got their own issues. You know, other than playing against us, Daniel Jones looks very mediocre. He's a turnover machine. It's almost like Eli Manning just handed his – skill set in that sense to Daniel Jones um, and all disrespect to Eli Manning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm going football team just with a simple fact that I feel like we have the most steady situation, even though Fitzpatrick is new, we've got a good O line. We've got good running game. Our defense, like I don't need to say anything. Everybody said all that needs to be said about our defense. And I'll go one further. We've got a lot of competitive depth, which is a topic we've talked about many times on the show. So I got to go football team. I know it's a biased, easy, you saw it coming, Homer pick. It, I, I gave my explanation as to why. So it's not just blind Homerism. I do think that they're the favorite. Unfortunately, where our schedule goes could put them in a bad situation to make that not happen. Who has the best quarterback in the division? 
probably Dallas. Okay. But what usually wins games? The saying is defense wins championships. But, you know, it's funny. I, I like where you're going because, like I said, all these experts keep – Reds. I mean, excuse me, football team defense, so great, so great. Oh, I'm taking Dallas. Like, what? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. And I guess my final question, what else is a huge determining factor in football games outside of the players? Weather? Oh, the coaches. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. My bad. Yeah, you set that one up, and I totally missed that one. Yeah. The the football team, Washington, they have the best defense in the division. They have the best head coach in the division. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why they're the favorites. That's why they're the favorites. I understand Dallas has that. I understand that. But they started out one and three with him. And they entered the season last year trying to win games, trying hard to win games. They were trying to win that division. Ron Rivera is on record saying that in 2020 that they entered the year in rebuild mode. They entered that year in rebuild mode, and he saw how the um, the division was going, and they changed directions and ended up winning it. So now that Washington has entered the season in win-now mode, I'm thinking it's going to be on. Now, like I said in the previous segment, that schedule is scary. But we have the team to compete with that schedule now. And I truly believe that. Yeah, forget about everything I said. Mike made – that's the best point anybody can make. You look at the coaching staff and it comes down to decision-making. Let's go down the line real quick. Everybody last year was already expecting – I can't – McCarthy. Everybody's already expecting him to be gone. And all I've seen is people just – ripping him apart via the hard knocks footage and, and the things he says and does. Right. And, and, and I don't disagree either just for the record. Uh, so there's that judge. It, I'm expecting a mutiny real soon. I don't think his players like him at all. You know what I mean? You got to call the police on your own team. That shows a total lack of control, man. Oh, you know, that tweet was fake. Was it? Yeah. Oh, man. We all got ban- – well, we all – I got bamboozled. Either way, I still – it seems like there's always something going on with Judge. He's yelling at players. He's trying to be Belichick. And Philly's got a brand-new coach. And there was no competition at quarterback, yet for some reason he wanted to kind of be coy like he was Belichick, you know, uh, say not, not wanting to name a starter. It's like Jalen Hurts is your starter. There's no, you're not fooling anybody. You know what I mean? But I'll say this about Philly. They have some potential, uh, maybe not this year, but if they hit on Hurts and the other pieces they have on offense right now, it could be on. But just like you said about uh, McCarthy with Dallas, their coach, remember his initial press conference? It was horrible. I forgot the uh, dude's name, but um, Philly's head coach, he, that city boy, they're going to they gonna have a rough for him this year. Like, they're going to give it to him this year. And as far as the Giants go, I actually bet on them to win a division because the odds were so good. <laughs> this was back in, like, um, April, I think. The odds were so good. I was like, yeah, let me slide 30 or this real quick. 
Couldn't but, help. Um, <laughs> but I do like that team too. They're in a similar situation with Philly on offense, where they hit on Jones and Barkley and Tony and yeah, they can do something. The Cowboys, their season completely relies on their defense. If their defense somehow comes alive next year, they'll definitely be Super Bowl contenders. But Washington will probably be nipping at their heels regardless. And that's what I don't think people understand, that this is a different Washington offense. So even if Dallas's defense does get better, who's to say that they can slow down Washington's new offense? So it'll be a close race throughout the season between those two teams and the fact that they don't see each other until December. Kind of just makes it a little bit more intriguing. But officially, I'm making my pick. I've been holding on as long as I can. But, yeah, Washington, they should be the favorites to win a division simply based on having the best coach and the best defense. I know quarterback's the most important position, but Washington has two out of three, and their quarterback isn't as trash as people expect him to be. Glad we agree. Nick Sirianni is the Eagles coach, by the ah, way. Ah, yes. That's his name. And um, now that we finally predicted all eight of the divisions, um, we're not going to do wild card teams. We're just going to do Super Bowl predictions. And I'll go first without my Eddie. I am going to say it's a throwback Super Bowl I mean, not a throwback Super Bowl, but a throwback to one of the best Monday night football games of all time. 2000, I want to say 19. Okay. Or was it 18? No, it was eight. It was Mahomes' first year, 2018. The Chiefs and the Rams put on a show on Monday night football. Uh, let me pull up the schedule real quick, but that's my super. I mean, that's my Super Bowl pick: the Chiefs and the Rams. I really do feel like those are the best two teams in their respective conferences right now. Um, the Rams, they got it on both sides, and that's why I'm picking them to win it because they have the quarterback now. They have the defense. Sure, they lost their starting running back in Cam Akers, but they still have Henderson. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. I even like their tight end, uh, Tyler Higby. Everything fell into place perfectly for them. They gave up a lot of first-round picks, so they kind of have to win it immediately because if they don't, those players are going to start getting older and they don't have picks to rebuild. So their Super Bowl window is literally the next two to three years. They have to win it at least once. Hmm. I mean, you kind of really stole what I wanted to say. I mean, it's, it's hard to go against either one of those teams. But for funsies, I'm going to go – I'm going to go Titans. Mm-hmm. Girl. And then I'm going to go Titans and I'm going to go Packers. Why not? Even though I picked the Vikings to win the division. So I'm going to totally. Hey. They can pull with the um, Bucks there last year. 
I'm just gonna be, throw that out there. Be less on a wild card and then go win the Super Bowl. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I wanted to pick something different than what you picked, but it's very tough to argue against your picks because you, the Chiefs have all the experience, and majority of that team was there for the first Super Bowl. So hard to go against them. Rams extremely offensively talented. So hard to Oof. go against one of those. Who's a dark horse Super Bowl contender for you? Like uh, a team that we that who? I was gonna say I think you could argue the Bills. I think the Bills could be a little bit of a dark horse, although I don't know. I guess people are kind of. I was about to say they they made the AFC Championship game last mm-hmm. year. Come on, man, hit me with something else. Forty Niners. Forty Niners. They, okay. Shanahan's a little bit of a genius offensively, and you got to think that team's going to be a lot healthier than last year. I'll give you the 49ers because nobody, nobody believes in Garoppolo. Nobody. Definitely me and everybody else. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking I really, really, really think the Colts are a Carson Wentz season away. I mean, a good Carson Wentz season away from becoming serious Super Bowl contenders. Okay. Yeah, it, I can that, ride with that. That defense, it reminds me of Washington. They're fast. They might not have the um, edge rushers that Washington has, but they're fast on defense. And they can keep up with most teams' offensive skill positions. So I'm – Keeping my eyes on the Colts, even though uh, one of my dudes, he trashed Washington during the offseason, and I said I was going to have it for the Colts all year, but I do believe that they're a dark horse and they can definitely surprise. Yeah, I'll, I'll ride with you on that one for sure. It's definitely, that's a good dark horse. Because if Wentz and um, – what's that, uh, the, the lineman, Quentin something? Mm-hmm. Quentin Nelson, I think maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if they can uh, get healthy in time. You could certainly be right, man. Yeah. And, yeah, that's it for this segment. Of course, we'll be talking about football the entire season. And we also have something special coming out for y'all this weekend. So stay tuned for that. This is Eddie and Mike, the podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Eddie and Mike, the podcast, y'all. And boy, oh boy, my, 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 my. I was on Twitter a couple of days ago, and I saw a tweet that said Clinton Portis was facing 20 years in jail. And I was, I was, I couldn't believe what I was saying. I know he's been having some problems financially, but I didn't know that it was this bad. And apparently, it's even worse than I initially thought. <laughs> so, Eddie, you have more of the backstory on it. Um, explain to folks what Portis then got himself into, man. So, it's not just Clinton Portis. It's a large group of NFL players. Portis specifically is 
potentially facing, I mean, you said 20. I'm what I'm looking at right now says 10 years in prison for charges, which allege he wrongly. It is 10. I'm sorry. It's 10. It's all good. Uh, he allegedly uh, obtained nearly a hundred thousand dollars as part of a ring that sought 2.9 million through false reimbursement claims. So uh, Portis and a guy named Tameric Vanover, who was a chief's uh, special team guy, uh, a linebacker named Robert McCune is now, the orchestrator of this. When I saw that, that was shocking to me. You remember he used to play for us. I do not. Robert McCune used to play for us. And the reason I remember that, and probably a lot of fans my age remember that, he was one of the fastest linebackers on that. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, that – when I read that he was the ringleader of it all, I was like, wow, I did not expect that because that was like towards the end of the article. They talked about Portis in the first and the second person in the beginning of the article. But in, towards the end, they said McCoon was the ringleader and he applied for $2.9 and cashed out two point five. So and each count that he was looking at was 20 years. And I think he had 14 counts. So there, there's more to unpack here. So really? here, here's how this goes. So Gene Upshaw, who was a former Players Union rep, uh, mm-hmm. former Oakland Raider, legendary Hall of Famer, uh, rest in peace. There's a Gene Upshaw health reimbursement account, which was established in 2006 to help retire players cover medical expenses and provides up to $350,000 in benefits per player. So the court documents indicate that Portis submitted false and fraudulent claims for medical equipment that was not actually provided. And so the, the scheme, like you said, 2.9 million in false claims. Uh, and like you said, 2.5 million was actually uh, doled out. And yeah, this was like back in 2015 that some of this was starting to come about, but now it's it's really blowing up, and it's listen. These are all the players I already mentioned: uh, Vanover McCoon, uh, former Saints receiver Joe Horn. His son was just recently drafted. Former Eagles running back Carell Buckhalter. Mm. See if you recognize this name, Carlos Rogers. Oh man! Uh, former Giants safety James Butler. Mm-hmm. Antoine Odom, who was a defensive end for the Titans. I kind of feel like he played for the Bengals, too, but I could be wrong. And then uh, they say Patriots because I guess that's who drafted him, but I'm pretty sure he played for us, too. Rache Codwell uh, was another one. I, it's just – it's ridiculous and it's sad. But in the end and, – and I know a lot of people are going to be coming for me because a lot of these dudes made good money playing in the NFL – and they're going to make some sort of statement, well, they spent too much money on cars or jewelry. Maybe, but this is just like that, that college amateurism argument in my, in my eyes. When you see that the NFL is making $9 billion, and who do people come to see? They come to see the players. They're wearing the player's jersey. They're not there to see the ref. They're not there to see the owner or the general manager. They're not wearing the tan suit that Scott uh, McLuhan used to rock. Do you know what I mean? Like, nobody's doing that. So when you see this and you're like, wow, like, these players are having to do this just to be taken care of, even though the sport and league they played in generated the most revenue out of all other sports in said country they play in Mm -hmm. and live in, 
it, it to me, it kind of says a lot and it's not good. I realize what these guys did was wrong and I don't condone it. And I'm sure they knew what they were doing was wrong. But again, let that sink in $9 billion a year. And some of your better players who are retired are having to hustle or having to fake and bake to get by. I, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely but, a, um, a yeah. two way thing because, like you said, most of the time it is because players just did not manage their money well. Um, I remember it was some dude, one of the players that was talking about how he helped out all his friends and like now he doesn't have any money and they're gone. Probably Trent Richardson. Um, was it him? It could have. That's the crazy part. It happens so freaking much. Yeah. The entourage, and, the crew, the family. Yep. And that's, that's what, at this point, I don't understand how, as an athlete, you can fall into that trap. We done seen yeah. it happen time and time again. Put some, bruh, put money to the side after, for after you retire. Like, this money won't come forever. And the, it's just unfortunate that these three players are um, leading this. When I found out what the um, pension was for, I couldn't believe that they were basically stealing money from their own players. You can look at it that way, too. So, yeah, that's a very fair point. Yeah, because there's some players that probably actually, like, really, really needed the money, like players from the 80s and the 70s that – didn't have the advancement of technology, so their body is even more jacked up than um, players like Rodgers and Porters. Are you? Like, Not to mention now. those guys didn't make the money that some of these guys, like most of those guys that I listed, mm-hmm. they they you know last time they played was maybe ten years ago. It's not that long. Right. So their contracts were bigger and more money than some of the the seventies and eighties players that we're talking about, but. You know, I, w- I really want to put this back to the NFL because I'm sure they do this to a degree, but there's got to be more done by the league and by each individual team, especially, you know, if, if it's a high draft pick, young kid that you're going to give, you know, first round, what is it, a guaranteed $20 million at least, if not more? Probably. Something right? like that. Back so in the day, it was even more. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but then they had that the rookie rule, yeah. which made a lot of sense to me. Why is a rookie making more money than a veteran in some cases? And I understand, hey, supply, demand, talent versus blah, blah, blah. I, I get all the arguments. But like I was saying, the NFL should be doing their due diligence here to think, you know, your average age of a first-round draft pick is what, 20 to 23? And in some cases, maybe even a little bit younger. In some of those very rare special cases where the guy's really good and leaves as soon as possible, the NFL should be having all kinds of financial advisors, classes, clinics, whatever type of, of, of word you want to put on it. They should have people to guide these guys in the right direction as far as what to do with their money, how to, you know, to be able to have some fun because who – what person, what kid, what young person that gets that much money isn't going to want to like go buy a new car, go do something nice for their mama, get some jewelry or whatever. There's a way you can do that reasonably and still save. Right. Have people like that being thrust upon these young guys to get them in the right direction, to keep this kind of crap from happening. All right. And 
I do think the NFL has a program for rookies. Um, they they used to do it every year, rookie symposium. I remember um, Michael Irvin, I think. No, and Vic. It was Michael Vic. I remember him at a symposium, like, talking to a whole the whole room of rookies, telling them, like, yo, I messed up. <laughs> like, don't be me, basically. So I think the NFL has some procedures in place. Now, if you want to say they need to be me, be a little more aggressive with their um, teaching, that's one thing. But, I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we can put it on the NFL, the NFL can't babysit. Well, I wouldn't say babysit, but I guess that's a good way to put it. They can't babysit the entire league. Like, that's what agents are for. That's what um, managers are for, public relations specialists are for. But like you said, these players are young, and all they care about is that $20 million that they're getting or that $3 million that they're getting. And they think that they're young and it's going to last forever. But, yeah, the average NFL lifespan is, I think, two and a half years. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, you got to – find ways to stack that brick. I, I like what a lot of players do, um, especially the ones that's making a lot of money or the more popular players. They live off endorsements. They live off of their endorsements. And I feel like that's something that any player should be able to take advantage of because there's some mom and pop store that'll pay an NFL player an X amount of dollars to advertise their business on the cable channel or radio or whatever. So, yeah, there's there's a way to make Skrilla. There's okay. a way to protect. A lot of these guys are going to the crypto thing. I've seen that where some are saying, hey, I want some of my contract to translate to crypto. I like that. You know, obviously you got a lot of guys trying to make various investments. So, yeah, there's a certain um, level of personal responsibility and accountability, and I, I don't disagree with that. I just – I think sometimes when you look at – systems that are in place you know if everybody's there to see the player then it shouldn't just be we shouldn't be treating these these athletes the way like horses in the kentucky derby are treated does that make sense i think your problem is that you're you they make nine billion a year i think oh they're worth nine billion or something like that i think you want them to like it seemed like you want them to come out their pockets more because they make that much money or they made that much money, in, right? In order to help the product. I don't just want them coming out of their pockets just off of general print. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. For the for the game's sake. It, it It's literally just investing more in their own investment already, mm-hmm. if that, protecting their investment, something like that. Call it what you want. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying they should just be at the game's just making it rain. I mean, that'd be really cool. Who would like, I bet, I bet games would be jam packed every game. I bet that would solve that problem, but no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I just, it, it's sort of like when it, it's like the UFC, right. And I don't mean to just, you know, take a left turn and bad mouth the UFC, but when you look at a lot of those dudes just sacrificing their body and getting whooped and Dana White's like, yeah, you know, I'll give you a couple thousand. It's like, what? You know, you got some guys making a lot of money. You got the rest not making so much. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. You know, where the owners are making hand over fist, and we'll just 
you know, we'll, we'll give you some money, but then if you're late, you wear the wrong cleats, any, any possible way that I can say, Oh, I'm going to find you for this and that we're going to do it. That that's kind of where I'm, where I'm getting at, you know? Oh, okay. I get you. And, and that goes back to negotiating, you know, the, uh, the, what's it CDA. called? Exactly. So I think the players pie, they have the biggest pie out of the sports. I think, um, they're a slice of the pie. I'm sorry. I think it was 54% to the owners, um, 46 maybe, or it might be like 51.4 to the owners, 49 point something like something weird like that. But, um, yeah, uh, the players probably should get a bigger, even bigger slice of the pie. But um, seeing the players <laughs> and older players, I'm pretty sure by now y'all heard what happened with Rasheed Wallace. Um, I'm not sure if you have the whole backstory, Eddie, but the gist of it is he said that LeBron couldn't play in this era. So if you watch the interview, he sort of – before he makes that statement, he actually says, you know, I think he'd do fine because he'd be bigger than most of the guys that he'd be playing against. The way I kind of took it, and I've always kind of taken it this way when it comes to this whole LeBron versus Jordan or anybody else today versus players of yesteryear, there's certainly a lot more skill and even to a degree athleticism when you look at the Kevin Durant types that – are super tall and look like they'd just be sort of a post-up big man in in the era that Rashid is talking about versus now they're playing perimeter they can dribble they can pass they can just pretty much do it all and it seems like that's kind of becoming the norm the way I take it is it's not necessarily he couldn't handle the physicality but if you watch those games in the 80s and even the 90s where you had the Celtics and the Knicks, the Pistons, even the Heat, the Bulls, you had you had a handful of teams that could play basketball and put up points, but they had some killers on those teams too. You know, Lambeer, uh, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, just to name a few different guys. Mm-hmm. Shoot, even uh, Robert Parrish for the Celtics. All those guys could play ball. But they were tough as nails, too, and they'd bump you. They'd elbow you. They'd, you know, kind of run into you with their knees if you were on the ground. Any little thing they could do. And I think the repetitiveness of that, night after night, would take its toll on LeBron and many others from this era. You look at these guys, and all you got to do is say say a little something to them, and they want to fight. Now, they don't really want to fight, but, you know, that whole thing, hold me back and – you know, they want to get angry and want to get thrown out and have all this extra energy. How do you think that would go down then? You none of them old cats putting up with that. Because the old cats are like, yo, look, do you really want to fight or not? Like, I'm not, I'm not about all this, like, singing and dancing and all. You know, that, that's what I'm getting at. And I think people really need to pay attention to the fact that Rashid said, I think he could initially. And all he was saying was the way guys play then versus now. now if, if LeBron gets blinked at, if Steph Curry, if somebody coughs and Steph Curry falls down, technical, flagrant, I mean, the, the Knicks or the Pistons from that era, the whole team would be suspended for possibly half the year or more with all the different flagrants. 
You know what I mean? That, that's the stuff that I heard coming out of that. I don't think anybody doubts how one of a kind and remarkable a player LeBron James is. I, I'm not trying to hate on him. But wa- watch those teams, the Pistons, when they played against the Bulls and the year that Jordan overcame them, or excuse me, overcame, you know, he, he beat the Pistons. He, he broke down the door. He wasn't able to beat them in years past. They would have guys going at him and Scottie Pippen every time out if they were on one side of the floor and the teams had to cross each other to get to their respective benches, they would have guys one after another, just kind of bump into them. Nothing even hard, but just kind of slow them down, stop them from getting to their bench. Mind games. That stuff would drive LeBron nuts. I'm telling you. Would it? I, I really think it would. Cause I remember the heat um, and Pacer series with um, LeBron and Lance Stevenson. And Stevenson was doing his best to get on LeBron's head. And that's the time when he started blowing in his ear. Did he touch him, though? Um, sometimes he did. Sometimes he did. Okay. He definitely I just, got physical with him. I feel like it's a difference between the way and, and I know. But I that's what I was going to say. The, they, the players would adjust to the different rules, I feel like. Like, if you put the Pistons in 2019 – of course, they're not going to clobber people or whatever, but they'll still be a physical defensive team that can probably slow down um, the three-pointers. The, the, that the, the teams shooting the three-pointers today, the Pistons could probably slow them down easily. Now, vice versa, like you said, I don't know how the teams from today would play back in the day because the rules were so different. It was definitely a more physical game. But – I don't know if you, like, watch basketball players doing the um, gym runs and stuff like that. Like, those games are physical. And the players, they're still making the shots that they usually make. So, I think, that, like, at the end of the day, ball is ball. Like, even even if you try to compare different eras, like, I don't think LeBron would struggle in the 70s or 80s or 90s. And vice versa. I don't think Larry Bird will struggle in the tens or two thousand twenties. No, Larry'd have a field day. I, I all I'm saying is, and especially the way people are like, oh, he played in your era, Rashid. Rashid's career was almost over them last two or three <laughs> years with the Pistons when LeBron was coming to his own. Of course, LeBron played extremely well. He played like the chosen one that he's supposed to be. He put up like forty nine some points dunking all over fools. Yeah, he had a great game. That doesn't mean that because of that one game or that series that he would totally just dominate in those other eras. I don't think he would struggle, but I just think people, I I guess what it amounts to is, is it's all about where your allegiances stand, what era you grew up in. Cause I am not a LeBron hater. I simply try as, as I've gotten much older, and I wish I was like this when I watched Jordan when I was younger. But I'm much more watching athletes and, and just things in life in general more objectively than more as a fan with bias. I will make statements trying to be funny that show clear, exaggerated bias. But that does not mean that that is my true feelings and character and, and outlook on the whole situation. All right, and yeah, it's that's why 
I don't like comparing players from other eras, but it is something that you kind of have to do yeah, when you're talking about about sports. And I just try to qualify the best way I can. I don't know if you remember, I was talking, uh, I post, I made that post about KD and Bird. And I think KD might be, might have better skills than Bird, but Bird just had the mentality of a winner. And I'm not even saying KD doesn't have a mentality of a winner, but Jordan has that Mamba mentality. He has that intensity that Jordan has. Matter of fact, both of them probably learned from him. <laughs> they probably picked up some of their cockiness from him. Because, I mean, what you going to do when a dude walk on the court and say, hmm, I feel like 43 tonight. And then he do it in three quarters and check himself out. Like, he had you? a game against, I want to say it was either the Jazz or the Bucks, and at the time, whichever team I want, it had to be the Bucks. I think at the time that team sucked. Mm-hmm. Larry only shot the ball left-handed, and he <laughs> had a spectacular night. Yes. So all I was saying, all I was thinking is with your KD comparison, which it's not really a bad one, and even people sometimes will want to kind of do like a tweener with uh, Bird and Magic when comparing Braun. The only problem is I have is I don't know that Braun can shoot like Bird can or could, rather. Mm-hmm. I think Larry Bird is just a product of, of just repetition. Certainly there's, there's talent, God-given talent, you know, and then being that size. But it just kind of feels like he was one of those dudes that just, you know, like a Peyton Manning almost, like just mm. rep after rep. And that's why his shot was just so ridiculous because he just practiced – and practiced and practiced and I feel like KD is getting to that level as you see his his mid-range start to really develop the way he kind of attacks people it looks much more calculated Mm -hmm. so I'm always excited when you see guys kind of it's like a Paul George right remember how how raw Paul George was when he came to the league right started to kind of develop those jab steps some of those moves to take advantage of his size his jumper just got very, very well polished. I've always been a fan of stuff like that. So I was just thinking that when you made the uh, the comparison right there. Did you have anything more you wanted to add for the show, my guy? No, just ready for some football. A Thursday night party. Right. And, yeah, that's it for the show then, y'all. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, we'll be back next week with more BS. <laughs> Let's more. wrap it up. More jokes, more um, debates, more topics, more everything. It's Eddie and Mike, the podcast. I'll let y'all next week. Michael K. Williams, we missed you, brother. We miss you. R.I.P. Omar. Hey, you. Hey, you.